Good morning, good morning. My name is Jeff. If you don't know me, my name is Jeff. If you do know me, please stay. Um, yeah, hallelujah, God is good. It's great joy to speak to my best friends in the whole the world, family of God. I love this. Great joy to speak to you. Great privilege for you to listen to me. Thank you. I was interested with Mike, by the way, this morning, saying that some mornings he gets up and doesn't feel like going on his five-kilometer walk. There's a great, greater consistency in my life on that issue. <laughs> I never feel like getting up and walking five kilometers in the morning. God is good all the time. Thanks, Dave, and the team for leading us in worship into the presence of God. Um, there's a line in that song that we sang, which was, then sings my soul. Oh, when Christ comes and we're with him in glory, then I will bow in humble adoration. You know, God's looking for people right now who will bow. Not just then, but now, who will bow and worship him in humble adoration. Over the recent months, we've been, uh, as instructed by the apostolic ministries that we work with, to look at certain issues, certain key uh, foundational issues of the faith. And so we did a whole series on the things listed in Hebrews 6, faith, uh, repentance, faith, baptisms, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. I'm sure that's all living and vital within you now, isn't it? Yes, Jeff. Uh, and then we've done a series on our identity in Christ, growing in Christ. Uh, we spoke about the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we've done all those things. And in the coming weeks, we are now turning our attention to uh, the ministries of Christ. Uh, that's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Those ministries listed in Ephesians chapter 4. And in the coming weeks, as it's already been mentioned, we're delighted to have come among us teachers, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. And they're going to be talking about their own ministry, how they work together, function together, function towards the church. Yeah, so that's going to be a great time. We're really looking forward to those guys coming among us. They don't just come among us as ministries, but they also come among us as great friends. These are people that we know and we love and we're living our lives with. They're truly good. Uh, my week, my task this week is to simply introduce this series and say something about the vital importance of working with such ministries. They're not sort of kind of some icing on the cake. Uh, the, these are foundational ministries. These are things which are foundationally important for us to work with if we want to become all that God wants us to become, both as individuals and as a, as a community of God's people, as the church. The Bible tells us in Psalm 103, verse 7, it says this, these words, but Moses knew the ways of God, and the people of Israel knew his deeds. Moses knew the ways of God, the children of Israel knew his deeds. That is, that the children of Israel knew what God did, but God, Moses understood the means and the ways by which God operated. There's a difference. 
There's a difference. Moses knew God's ways, the principles by which God works. There's a difference between those two things. Moses understood not only what God was doing, but also understood why God was doing it. Never thought to myself, why is God doing this? Just me, that. (laughs) The ways of God are the paths that God takes to accomplish his purpose. The ways of God are the paths that God takes to accomplish his purpose. King David, uh, King David understood this, and he says in Psalm 25, verse 4, David says, show me your ways, Lord, teach me your paths. Show me your ways, teach me your path, teach me your steps, teach me your methodologies, God, because he wanted to know the principles by which God operated that he might know success. We too need to know the ways of God so that we may know, live our lives and that we might build successfully. I think we all want success in one way or another in life. All of us want success. Not just in spiritual things, but in life. I want to be a success as a husband. And I'm achieving that magnificently. <laughs> you might want a second opinion, but <laughs> I want to be a success as a father. I want to be a success as a granddad. I want to be a success in my life. And I need to understand the principles by which God operates that I might become successful. Yeah? Say yes, Jeff, if you understand. Hosea the prophet says these words, the people perish for a lack of knowledge. People perish for a lack of knowledge. Hosea 4.6. How many people have ever said, I wish I'd known that earlier? How many, <laughs> how many of us older people have said, I wish I'd known that when I was 21? <laughs> I wish I'd known that when I was growing up. I wish I'd known. People perish for a lack of knowledge. It's okay to be dumb as a kid, but by the time you get a bit older, you ought to have learned some stuff. And we need to know the ways and the paths and the methodologies that God works, how God operates, so that we might please him and live life successfully. We need to know some stuff about the principles by which God works and by which he builds. And this morning we're giving our attention to these Ephesians 4 ministries And in the light of that, I want to talk about how God builds. What God does when God builds. How he builds. And I have a PowerPoint, which I will probably forget to use. Ah, there we go. Can you read that? Is that okay, that clear? That's that's a 36 font. It's like going to the opticians. I'm going to go bigger fonts if you can't. You probably know this verse. Anybody who's ever opened a Bible and said, I'm going to read the Bible, will know at least this verse. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, and God begins to speak. In the realms of God, things are accomplished by a combination of the word being spoken and the Spirit moving. That's a principle, by the way, 
in God. God accomplishes what he wants to accomplish through a word spoken and the spirit moving. You know, the Holy Spirit wants to operate in your life like that. The Holy Spirit is in you, but he wants to get out. He doesn't want to remain boxed up in you. He wants to get up and get out, and he wants to do stuff. Because the Holy Spirit is always on the move. Can't get into that right now, but he's a, he's a rain falling. He's depicted as a fire burning, the river flowing, the fountain bubbling, the oil being poured out. He's a dove descending. He's the Holy Spirit of God. He's always wanting to move. And in your life, the Spirit of God wants to move. And he's waiting for you to do something. We sometimes say, I'm just waiting for God to move and I'll join in. That's not how it works. God is waiting for you to do something that he can join in. Mark 16 says, the Holy Spirit went, they, they went out preaching the good news and the Holy Spirit working with them. Holy Spirit gets up some morning and says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do today, Jeff? Where are we going to go today, Jeff? Because he wants to work with us. He wants to work with you. And he wants to work with me. Our friend Arnie Scargan speaks powerfully on this particular theme. Give God something to work with. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I believe every biblical principle finds its beginnings in the book of Genesis. It's a book of beginnings. And a biblical principle finds its genesis here, which shows us how God establishes that which God wants to have built. So stay with me. because I'm going to flip through some verses just to uh, prove my point. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Proverbs 3.19, Proverbs 3.19 says these words, By wisdom the Lord laid the earth foundation by understanding he set the heavens in place and by his knowledge the deeps were divided and the clouds were let let drop the dew wisdom understanding and knowledge are the attributes of god that he used when he wanted to build something when he was creating the heavens and the earth and these three attributes wisdom understanding and knowledge become the basic building blocks upon which God establishes everything that he desires to be built. We see this throughout Scripture. This Genesis principle being repeated. Psalm 24, verse 3 says these words, By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established, and through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Again, wisdom understanding and knowledge are the things that are used to build and to establish a house. We see this principle being worked out throughout the Bible. Whenever something is to be built that was truly to reflect the excellencies of God, we see this principle continued. Let me give you a couple of examples. When the children of Israel were delivered out of Egypt, and they were on that journey between Egypt and the promised land. Um, they were a, what's the word you use when people move around a lot? Nomadic. That's, thank you very much, Ali. Glad you were there. They were a nomadic people. They were on the move. And God wanted to build a house. God wanted to build a house where he could meet with his people. And this was going to be a tent, a tented house. 
God was very specific, very clear, extremely detailed about how this house should be ordered and should be established. God is interested in the detail of how we build and what we build. We see this throughout the scripture. When God wants a house built, he's very specific. Uh, And so he gives Moses the plan. Moses was a man with a plan. But God, uh, but he couldn't do it himself. And so God had to give him that which was required. Exodus 31 verse 1. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, see, I have called by name Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and in understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. Some translations of the Bible don't use those specific words, but if you go back into the Hebrew, it's exactly the same words. It's wisdom and understanding and knowledge. Here is a man who has been anointed by the Spirit of God and he's anointed in wisdom and understanding and knowledge for the purpose of building the house of God. Fast forward 400, 500 years later and they're now no longer a nomadic people. They're settled in Jerusalem and in the promised land and God wants to replace his tabernacle, his tented house for a more permanent building which we refer to as Solomon's Temple. The the specific details for the building was given to God, was given by God to Solomon's father, David. And again, it was incredibly detailed. He didn't just knock up whatever he thought. He wasn't building a wimpy house, you know. Apologies if anybody's got a wimpy house. But um, it was very clear what God wanted and how important the foundations of that house were. So important that it was built with great precision. In fact, it talks about the, the, the foundations being of dressed stone. The foundations, which you'd never see again, were beautifully carved and precise. This was no slapdash house. God was specific. David was able to say, I have it in writing by the Spirit of God within me, all that needs to be done to build this great house. But it was Solomon, his son, who actually was the man who built it. We refer to it as Solomon's temple. And in 1 Kings 4.29, it says, God gave Solomon great wisdom and understanding and knowledge too vast to be measured. And again, we see this man, Solomon, anointed by God, gifted by God, with wisdom and understanding and knowledge to build that which God wanted God wanted something spectacular. God wanted something beautiful. God wanted something that would take the breath away for everybody who looked at it. It was beyond comparison. And God gives a man wisdom, understanding, and knowledge to build what God wants built. You can study for yourself get your concordances out and all that kind of thing and see how many times these three things are paired together. Paired together. Can you pair three things? Harnessed together. Joined together. <laughs> you understand. Uh, when God wants something built, this is how he does it. You know, 
The Old Testament prophets spoke of a Messiah who was going to come. The Christ who would establish his kingdom here on earth. That's what the Old Testament was about. The Old Testament all pointed to this Messiah who would one day come. Every verse in the Old Testament speaks of him in one way or another, of the Christ who would come. The one who would come to build his church against which the gates of hell would not prevail. I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Jesus wants to build his church. And this Messiah who is to come, this one who is to come to build his church, Isaiah prophesies about him. Isaiah 11, 2. And Isaiah said, The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The Spirit of counsel and of power. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The principle laid out in the Scripture is that when God builds, he uses in particular these three attributes. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Not mere human wisdom, not mere human understanding, not mere human knowledge, but anointed, spirit-anointed, spirit-filled wisdom, understanding and knowledge to fulfill God's plan and purpose on earth. Are we convinced that's how God wants to build? I, I hope so. I, otherwise, I want to keep going <laughs> until you submit. <laughs> As we move from the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, into the New Covenant, we find that in the New, it's a fulfillment of all that was promised in the Old. All that was pictured in the Old. The Old Testament was just pictures of something greater that was to come, a, a shadow of a greater reality. You go to some restaurants, Pam and I try to avoid them, and outside there's pictures of the food you're going to get. I don't like going to restaurants where there's pictures of the food outside. But, but you know, the picture of the food is not the food. It will not sustain you, encourage you, nourish you. I want to go in and get the, the food. When the steak is on the plate, sorry for vegetarians and others of that ilk, but when the lovely, sizzling, juicy steak is on the plate, man, that's something else. The Old Testament was the menu. The New Testament is steak on the plate. Praise God, hallelujah. And what we find in the new covenant is that those attributes, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge given by the Holy Spirit as gifts to men become, in the New Testament, the ministries of Christ to the church, the house of God, the magnificent house that God is building. The house that God is building now knocks Solomon's temple into a cocked hat. I'm never quite sure what that phrase means. A funny phrase, but yeah, God's building a glorious, magnificent, splendid house. It's called the church. It's you and it's me, living stones being built together. You look around and say, Really? You look at me and you go, Really? I look at you and go, Amen. I can see it in every one of you. The glory of God is upon you. Yeah, it's not just a glory of God. He's building you into something magnificent and glorious and wonderful. The other picture is of the bride of Christ. Jesus being the bridegroom. We're the bride and he's making us ready for him. Something magnificent. He doesn't want an old hag in which he has to give the kiss of life. 
He doesn't want people to lift the veil and go, my God, what is that? <laughs> He's building something glorious and magnificent. <laughs> Let's look what Jesus has to say about this. In Matthew 23, 34, you know Jesus never read the book by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People. He was taking, talking to the religious leaders of the day, you know, and he, and he <laughs> you snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape from being condemned to death, to hell? Therefore, I am sending the prophets. Jesus says, I am sending. Say that, Jesus, I am sending. I am sending, says Jesus. I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers. Some of you will, you will kill and crucify Others you will flog in your synagogue and pursue from town to town. I'm sending you prophets, wise men, and teachers. Some you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Luke's parallel, parallel version uh, translation of the same verse says, because of God, this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and others they will persecute. The wise men listed there in Matthew 23 becomes the apostles in Luke 11:49. So we, and it, can you just notice, by the way, in Luke, where am I now? I'm in Luke. Oh, I've gone far. What's that doing there? What's this doing? Jesus says, I am sending you prophets. When Luke does it, he says, God in his wisdom that I will send them prophets and apostles. Jesus says, it's me. God. Luke says, it's God. But you know whether it's the same thing. God is Jesus and Jesus is God. I will send them prophets and apostles. So what we find here is that the wise men who in Matthew is the apostle in Luke, sorry, I've got lost there. It was a wisdom of God himself, the ultimate wise master builder, was to send wise builders whom he calls apostles. You see that. Hence the apostle was able to say, the apostle Paul was able to say, I laid a foundation as a wise master builder. A wise master builder. Apostles and prophets in the New Testament, are the foundation layers into churches that others come and build upon. They are the first people required, as it were, on site. I'm going to say that again. Just apostles and prophets are the foundation layers into churches that others come and build on. They are the first people required on site. Ephesians 2.19 says, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. You are fellow citizens with God's people. I'm looking at you guys now. You are fellow citizens with God's people. Isn't that wonderful? And you're members of God's household. Wow. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Apostles and prophets are foundation layers into churches with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. He is central to everything. 
as we talk about other ministries at the moment, please understand, Jesus is central to everything. Jesus and Jesus alone is the one that we look to, we worship, we adore. But God in his goodness has sent ministries to us to help us accomplish what we need to accomplish. How foolish then we would be as a church if we sought to build on a foundation other than those given to us by God. We have to have experientially working towards us the ministries of the risen Christ. We will never accomplish what God wants accomplished without that. And I don't want to get into denominationalism and all that kind of stuff, but no matter what church you want to build, it must be built on apostles and prophets and not on anything else. Jesus, of course, being the chief cornerstone. The apostles and prophets. First on sight. There's an interesting verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We've been looking at the gifts of the Spirit uh, recently about what's which are listed in that chapter. Uh, but in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, it goes on to say, in the church, God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then, and then he lists a whole lot of other people. Uh, but first, second, third. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. This in no way is to indicate some kind of redemptive value in an individual person. It doesn't mean to say the apostle is worth any more than the lady who's washing up in the kitchen. The same price was paid for the lady washing up in the kitchen, or the man washing up in the kitchen. Men also now. Praise God, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> we also can wash up in the kitchen. But, but there's no higher redemptive value here. We're all of the equal. We've all been paid, bought by the same price. We've all bowed the knee to the same Savior. We all have the same God and the same Jesus and the same Holy Spirit functioning towards us. He just manifests himself differently in different people. And when you come to building the house of God, the first on site needs to be the apostle. And the second, the prophet and third teaches. That's why he says here, first apostles, second prophet, third teachers. It's not some kind of hierarchy with the apostles sat on the pointy bit. We've said it many times before, but if you rotate that, uh, uh, that, that pyramid 90 degrees, you find it like an arrowhead, and it's pointing you in a direction. It's taking you somewhere. That's what those ministries are for, to take us somewhere. Apostles and prophets are foundational. And those are the ministers coming into us in these coming weeks, and also teachers. We read earlier uh, Proverbs 24, verse 3 By wisdom, a house is built, through understanding, it's established, through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. Yeah, you remember that back then. Matthew chapter 13, 52 says these words. Therefore, every teacher who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. The guy who furnishes a house with treasures is a teacher. You get that? Good. 
And, you know, there's no point in trying to fill the house with rare and beautiful treasures if the foundations haven't been laid. That would be dumb. When, when Pam and I w got married, 1971, 28th of August, <gasps> such a day. We'd already bought our first house, but we bought it on this building site when, when it hadn't been built, and it was supposed to be built, this house, in the June, and we got married in August, and so it was going to be great, we could move in, get it all sorted out, or not move in, Ooh, fancy. <laughs> We could get it all sorted out, but actually the builder, you know, said uh, the house was not ready for uh, about eight months after we got married, which was disappointing to say the least. So we used to go down to the house where the builder was building it, and we went down and stood on this concrete slab and said, well, this is where the lounge will be. You know, we didn't, well, after we got married, we got all those lovely wedding gifts, 15 toasters, you know, the kind of thing. We did not take them with us when it was just a concrete slab. That bit will be where the kitchen is. Just leave them over there, darling. We, we, you, you wait for the house to be built in order it to be furnished with rare and beautiful treasures. That's the task of the teacher. Please note, it says here, every teacher who has been instructed about the kingdom of heaven. Underlined, I underlined it. Not underlined in your Bible, but I underlined it in my thing there. Every teacher who has been instructed. That's an important verse. That's an important thing to say. Teachers need to be instructed. Who instructs the teacher? The apostle and the prophets are the people who instruct the teachers. Revelation of the mysteries of Christ come firstly to God's apostles and prophets. Can I just say that again? Revelation of the mysteries of Christ come first to the apostles and prophets. Bing. The mystery of Christ, it's talking about in Ephesians 3, 4, made clear by God's Spirit through his holy apostles and prophets. They're the receiver, the recipients of the revelation that they in turn impart to the teachers. The teacher's task is to receive that information, unpack it and deliver it to the people of God in nice ways that the people of God can receive it and hear it. That's the task of the teacher. Do we agree? Well, maybe you want to go and think about it because I believe that's what the Bible teaches us clearly. Teachers don't just teach their own doctrine. Uh, they, they teach the apostles' doctrine. On the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 were saved, it says in the Bible that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, not in the teachers' doctrine. They, they continued steadfastly in what they'd been taught by the apostles. The greatest problem in the New Testament church did not come from those who claimed to be apostles and prophets, and were not, but from false teachers. Those who taught things other than what the apostles approved. In fact, there was an issue, uh, you can read about it in Acts somewhere or other, Acts 15, I think, 14. The apostle James had to write to all the churches, uh, all the churches, correcting an error that had been taught by teachers. And he writes in this letter, we have heard that some went out from us without our authorization. 
and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. In the New Testament, we find so often it's the teaching of teachers, not teaching an apostolic doctrine that caused so much problem. Take a breath. Just turn to somebody next to you and say, it's been okay so far. It was the apostles and the prophets and the teachers, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge that builds the New Testament church, working together to fulfill God's ultimate purpose, working with evangelists and pastors and teachers and all other people. We're working together in partnership with these people. The apostles and the prophets and the teachers cannot do it on their own. Every one of us has a part to play, I believe. But Ephesians 4.11 says, it was Jesus who gave earlier before. I am sending you, he said. I am, or God in his wisdom is sending. I am sending. It was Jesus who gave, sent, some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ until we attain, until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become more mature, attain, listen to this, that we can attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That is staggering. How will we achieve that? How will that take place? How will the church of God in this generation receive and get and, 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 and come to that position where we attain, and it's attainable, the full measure of Christ is this through our response to those Ephesian four ministries. I've got time for a, a two-minute diversion. In Ephesians 4, at the beginning, it talks about that we are to make every effort to maintain the unity of the faith. If you're in Christ and I'm in Christ, uh, we are one, we are united together in Christ. No matter where you come from, no matter what church you're a part of, what no not what, no matter what denomination you're part of, if you are in Christ and I am in Christ, then we are united. The spirit of unity. It's, we're united in Christ. Oh, that hurt. We're united in Christ. And it says that we should make every effort to maintain that unity. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit. I have a house and I maintain it. I have a neighbor, I don't maintain his house. I maintain what I have, not what I don't have. So I'll work hard to maintain my house. God says maintain the unity of the Spirit. You maintain what you have. So already, the ecumenical prayer meetings to get to become united in the Spirit are a nonsense. They're a red herring because we're already united in Christ. 
what we, don't, what we need is to move from the unity of the Spirit to a unity in the faith. That's the transition. And how do we make that? Will we make that by uh, having united firm days or celebrations together? All things are great. I'm not against all things. But I tell you, the only means by which we can transition from the unity of the Spirit to the unity of faith is by the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers working with us. That's how we transition. That's what God has given to us that we may all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's going to be great. That's going to be wonderful. We're on a journey. And please, you know we have not arrived. There is so much more for us to learn. We know this. We do know this, that it's by the ministry gifts of the ascended Christ, that God's people will be equipped to, to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Hmm. That's why it's important these ministries come among us. That's why it's going to be great to welcome James and Kerry and Matthew Ling, Devon, Deborah Lyon, Arnie Scargan, Tim Jones, coming among us in these coming weeks. They come as those master builders, those people who are foundational. They come as those gifts, as ministries' gifts. Please do not miss out on being with us when this is taking place. Because these ministries are here to help you come to the fullness of the statue of Christ. Look at the picture. And the Bible, of course, is the bride of Christ, were the house of God, but also the bride of Christ. I mentioned that. And um, Revelation 19, 7 says, Let's rejoice and be glad for the marriage of the Lamb is come and the bride has made herself ready, speaking of that time to come, that age to come, when we can rejoice and be glad because... The marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Don't know what it was like, ladies, when you got married. But I'm pretty sure of this. The groom did not pop round and do your hair. The groom did not pop round and help you with your makeup. Put your shoes on, help you with a dress. That was not how it happened. You got yourself ready to present yourself to the groom. And each one of us has a responsibility. Every one of us in this room has a responsibility to prepare ourselves for the coming king, the bridegroom. With a voice in the spirit that cries, you look at the world today and with a voice that cries, even so, come quickly, Jesus. How will this world get sorted out with its mess? I believe the church needs to stand up and be the glorious church that God wants it to be. And I believe it's by those ministries that will help us achieve that. Amen.